0: Right, I'm just going to introduce John to you. Um, John is part of our wider family of churches. No, you're part of it. You are part of it. John leads one of the churches that's part of our wider family of churches, regions beyond. Um, He leads Beulah Church in London. And I first got to know John, really, when we were in South South Africa together at Steve's Farm for the pizza. That's right, isn't it? And we um, had great fun together. Um, John has a very dry sense of humor, which took a little bit to get used to, but John is great fun Um, as we were, as I was thinking about this series, I really wanted us to, as we got to the point of what has God done in, in the church now, um, in gathering Jew and Gentile together in the church, I really wanted us just to think through that idea carefully. Um, there are many different perspectives in that, as I'm sure you know. Um, and I just thought I heard John, um, preaching on this a couple of years ago at the first fusion and I just found it so helpful. Um, and so as we were planning, He's preaching something different this morning, I know slightly. But as as he was coming, um, as I was thinking about this series, I thought I'd love John just to come and lead us and teach us on this area. So can we welcome John, Liz? Great to have you. Stand up, both of you. Let's welcome these guys. going to pray for you. Father, we bless John this morning. We thank you for John and Liz and we just pray right now. Would you come and fill him afresh, anoint him with your spirit. We thank you that this is not merely an intellectual exercise. This is your word which is truth and life and so we ask Holy Spirit that you would speak to us as John teaches us from your living word right now. Amen. Bless Amen. him. Amen.
1: Thank you, Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, can, I, can I go out there? gives me more authority. I'll try and steer clear of the humour this morning. I've got a red light that says low battery. I've got a mute that's off and I should be on. Could be the battery. Can you hear me at the back? Hello. No, I'll speak up. Uh, I was bred and born in Bristol. Anyone heard of that wonderful city? Yeah. Oh. Uh, thank you. That was a that were a long time ago. That was <laughs> 60, sixty long years ago. Can I speak like that, Randy? Because they don't understand me at where I come from. Um. I was. <laughs> 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 there right there we go. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, uh, that's okay. Oh, no. Oops. Oops. Oops there we go. It should be Okay. How about that? Is that good? Uh, oh. <laughs> okay. Are we there? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Um. So I was born in Bristol 60 years ago, and born into a non-Christian family, but in those days it was good to take children to church for a couple of pennies on a Sunday morning you could get a bit of peace and quiet, and so I went to church for many years until I was about, uh, probably about 14, uh, by which time sex, drugs, and rock and roll were more attractive than Jesus so I stopped going to the church. I grew my hair. It's unbelievable now, but there was a time when I could tuck my hair into my belt. And uh, I bought my first really nice guitar from Swindon um, around about 1976, a Fender Stratocaster for 150 pounds. I lent it later to a Christian, and I never got it back. And uh, oh, there you go. Um, I went to church again when I was around about 18, 19 because uh, there was a girl I fancied and I thought it would be a good move uh, to get in with her, to impress her. So I went to church uh, and I heard the gospel preached and I thought, if what he's saying is true, I'm in trouble because the only reason I'm here is for what we would call the lusts of the flesh and um, the wages of sin is death. didn't sound like good news to me. So I started to read the Bible in order to prove that it wasn't true, discovered that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and thought I'd better either repent or reckon with my fate. So I decided repentance was the better option. Uh, so I became a Christian, age 19. I was baptized, and uh, that relationship never went anywhere. But I met another very beautiful young woman in the church there, Liz, and we'd been married for 36 Seven years this year, is that right? (laughs) 37 years on the 8th of August at 2 (laughs) o'clock. We felt God was calling us to uh, serve him and uh, particularly got stirred about the place of the Jews, which is a bit of an odd thing. As soon as there were probably only about 600 Jews in Bristol. Uh, I did happen to go to school with one, but he was non-religious, And um, I'm not quite sure exactly how this stirring about the Jews came, but uh, I wrote to a missionary society, and they said, how long have you been a Christian? You don't know anything, mate. You're just an ignoramus. Go to Bible college. So we got married in 1981. We went to Spurgeon's College in London. We did three years, um, theology, in order to prepare us to go and work in the Middle East, and we ended up going as far as Finchley, um, which was a good start, uh, but it all kind of didn't work out. We were involved with what was then Coastlands and then New Frontiers, and uh, we'd made friends with uh, the church in Penge while we were in Penge, uh, while we were at Spurgeon's College, so we went back there, and about a year and a half later, 31 years ago, the church in Thornton Heath, that's Croydon, did you see Croydon at half-time yesterday? Whoa! Lovely, lovely to see Croydon um, presented in a positive light. This is a wonderful place to live. Um, Yeah, Uh, so uh, we've been in that church for 31 years. Uh, Two years ago, Steve Oliver, who leads the Regions Beyond Movement, felt it was the most needy church in the whole of the movement. And he would have to go there personally in order to sort us out. So he's been with us for the last two years. We've had enough of him. So we're sending him up to central London to plant Trinity Church uh, in September. And uh, they've had enough of us. So they're sending us off for two and a half months in the uh, the autumn to go and do some work with churches in the Far East. So what about the Jews? Shall I go back to that subject? I think that's what I'm supposed to be talking about this morning. There's a lot to say and a little time to say it. And what time do I have to finish in order to go? 25. How many? 25 past. So about half an hour. Impossible. Okay, so uh, somewhere there's a PowerPoint presentation. It starts with a map with a picture of a country that's about the same size as Wales. Uh, and all the major events of the Bible took place there. Okay, you can travel it in a short period of time. In fact, uh, one of the things I would love to do is to invite you to come to Israel with me. Uh, many people say, yeah, we'd love to go. But when you go, how much does it cost? That's a lot of money. Why don't, we, why don't you give us advance notice? So I'm taking a tour in November, uh, October and November 2020. <laughs> Most people... I'll leave some leaflets, you know what I mean? Most people don't plan that far ahead. So there you are, you've no excuse. You can save your money, you can come if you want. It's a wonderful place to go, and as I say, most of the major events of the the Bible took place within that small area. Uh, A couple of years ago, about six years ago, Liz and I um, began to renew our relationship with people in Israel, and uh, we particularly worked at making friends with... Jewish Christians who are working in the northern part of the, uh, the, the country. If you go to the next slide, you can see the Sea of Galilee. It's the blue bit in the middle, sort of uh, harp-shaped lake. Uh, City of Tiberias, Nazareth. And somewhere to the just north, um, slightly w- uh, west of uh, the Sea of Galilee, you've got uh, a place called Carmiel where we've been working uh, for the last six years if you remember israel Harel, who was at, uh, at fusion a couple of years ago that's where he is based and we have a congregation there of about 140 people um, seeking to be jews who believe in jesus and that gives christians uh something of a bit of a problem because there are lots of questions that that people have about, well, didn't the Jews have their turn and they mucked it up and now God's handed it over to the church and so, you know, if some Jews happen to get saved, they they got to become Christians, haven't they? Like us, like what we did. Do it proper. Um, and there's confusion about the nature of the state of Israel. Is it a place that... Um, is a fulfilment of prophecy? Is this what the Old Testament prophets is about? Is this the, the, the precursor to the uh, the second coming of Jesus? Is this is part of God's plan. So there's a few questions. If you go on a couple of slides, uh, has God replaced the Jews with the Church, or has God got a special plan for the Jews? Do the Jews need the gospel? Do they have an old covenant way that they can still get saved, and we've got a new covenant way and got to work it out somehow? Okay? If you go back a few years in the movement we're in, Regions Beyond comes out of New Frontiers, comes out of the restoration movement in the 1970s. Was anybody alive in the 1970s? I got saved in the 1970s and plunged into a time when. The restoration of the church was really important. Do you recognize these faces? Terry Virgo, Arthur Wallace, Ern Baxter, Bob Mumford, and Bryn Jones. They were heroes who were championing um, the restoration of the church. Restoring the church to its New Testament uh, pattern. Apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers, evangelists, fourfold ministries being restored. And Restoration Magazine Began to say things like uh, Hugh Thompson wrote an article saying, "I find no clear prediction in the Old Testament. Jews must return to Palestine in the in the last days." That was in I think 1979. Because the, the church has inherited all the promises, all the blessings that were promised are ours. And uh, Matthew says very clearly, "The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation producing the fruit of it." I think that's Matthew 21:43. Derek Prince wrote a book called The Last Word on the Middle East. If you read the small print, it says God has the last word on the, uh, the Middle East. But he said at the same time, the central theme of biblical prophecy as it is being unfolded in our time revolves around the land and the people of Israel. God is carrying out his predetermined plan to regather the Jewish people from their worldwide dispersion okay, and uh, to restore them to their ancient homeland. Coming on. So, what do you make of that? Well, Hugh Thompson saw things one way because he had a a particular way of interpreting the Bible. The promises belong to us. Derek Prince had a different way. Many of you know Derek Prince? Hand up. Blessed by his books. Both believed in the Bible. Both were spirit-filled Christians. Both believed in the restoration of the church. One of them said, no, we're the heirs. The Jews have lost it. The other one said, no, we're joint heirs together. And... God has got a plan and a purpose for the church. Can I resolve this this morning? Can I say, this is right, that's wrong? No, I could tell you what I believe. But really, what's the point? Because, as they say, for every two Jews, there are three opinions. And it's a very complicated subject. We're not likely to convince people. That's not really what I'm trying to do this morning. Just to give you an idea of how people have looked at things and how we might be practical and sensible, biblical and where we might find some truth or way of operating more uh, effectively in relating to this subject. Spurgeon, my great hero, who actually planted the church in Thornton Heath uh, that I pastor, it was Beulah Baptist Church originally, he said, I think we do not attach sufficient importance to the restoration of the Jews. We do not think enough of it, but certainly if there is anything promised in the Bible, it is this. The day shall yet come when the Jews, who were the first apostles to the Gentiles, the first missionaries to us, who were afar off, shall be gathered in again. Matchless benefits to the world are bound up with the restoration of Israel. Their gathering in shall be as life from the dead. Jonathan Edwards, who was um, one of the architects of the Great Awakening, also uh, has a very uh, positive spin to say on the issue of uh, Israel nothing is more certainly foretold than this national conversion of the Jews in Romans 11 we might get to the Bible um, somewhere towards the end of this talk and I think it's probably going to be uh, an unusual presentation in that regard Hudson Taylor We know about him for the China Inland Mission, but Hudson Taylor, on the first year of every year, uh, during his time as the head of the China Inland Mission, he used to send a check to the Mildmay Mission to the Jews in London, on which he wrote to the Jews first. And John Wilkinson, who was the missionary uh, in charge of that mission, used to give a blessing for the Chinese as well. So they used to kind of exchange funds. I don't know who gave the bigger lot, which one got the more blessing, But there has been this recognition amongst church leaders for hundreds of years that God has not finished with the Jews. Today there is confusion. Uh, There are some. John Hagee has been accused of uh, teaching the Jews don't even need the gospel. There's an old covenant that's still in place. I don't know how he understands that. The Catholic Church uh, has come to the conclusion that they should not conduct uh, mission amongst the Jews. This is kind of perceived as anti-semitic and uh, so they've adopted a more conciliatory tone david brickner who is the head of uh, jews for jesus said the apostle paul would be horrified at this repudiation of the words with which he started his letter in the romans for i am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first well people say that's just historical is there any priority other than it went there first you know it started in Jerusalem Judea Samaria ends of the earth it's an outward move not an inward move surely that's that's all there is to it isn't it well I don't think so Jesus came for the Jews first he says go nowhere amongst the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and that's what the apostles began to do. The early apostles were all Jewish. You know that, don't you? Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was circumcised. Jesus presumably went through some kind of bar mitzvah. Jesus communicated with rabbis in Hebrew. That's his personal background. And as the gospel did go out, it went first to the Jews. Many who received the word, of uh, Pentecost were baptized 3,000 souls. Most of them were Jews. And most of them were Jews who'd come for the day of Pentecost from all around the world. And they went back to their own people sharing what God was doing. And uh, later on, the numbers grew to 5,000. And later on in Acts, it says, when they heard this, they glorified God and said to him, you see, brothers, how many thousands there are amongst the Jews who have believed. And they are zealous for the law. And there's an interesting little thing. That the zeal for the law and believing in Jesus went together. If we go to the next slide, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. To the Jew first and to the Greek. And my old friend Richard Harvey, who I first met in Bristol uh, when he was studying theology. After he got saved and rediscovered his Jewish roots. So he became a Christian then Realized he'd grown up in a Jewish family, I think a kind of reform or almost secular Jewish family. He discovered there were depths that he had no idea about until he came to faith in Jesus. One of the amazing things I found is that his story is many people's story. That Jews are finding Jesus in no small number in America, in Europe, and in Israel. And God has done a very strange thing. There are now estimated between ten and 15,000 Jews, Israeli-born who believe in Jesus and who are forming a network of congregations right across the length and breadth of that little land. When Liz and I were there in 1983, I think everybody who was a Jew who believed in Jesus knew one another. It was a very small group of people, a little bit like what it was like in... Uh, coastlands in the early days everybody knew one another we met in homes we were a small group of people but now 15,000 people maybe who are uh, working together and identified as Jews who believe in Jesus most of those would identify that God has brought his people back to fulfill old testament prophecy new testament purposes and so whether or not you accept that if you want to see where god has uh called us as a movement and as christians to operate we have to relate to people who've got very positive ideas about the nation of israel and its uh uh, plan in in the in the in the history of the world and in the history of the church martin luther who of course is better known for the reformation wrote a book called against the jews and their lies and uh There is a a long history of trouble between Jews and Christians. The Crusades, the pogroms, Eastern Europe, the ghetto, the first ghetto in Venice. And then, of course, the Holocaust, which, although it wasn't perpetrated by Christians, the Nazis used Martin Luther's writings and others in order to vindicate and justify their purpose. But when we come to the New Testament and we get back beyond all that, we remember Jesus was a Jew. The early uh, Christians were Jews. They didn't call themselves Christians for decades. They just were Jews who believed in Jesus. And the miracle was that Gentiles could become part of the plan and purpose of God. It was astonishing, you know, when Peter went down to Caesarea because an angel appeared to him and said, you've got to go there, give him this vision about eating unclean foods and he goes to Caesarea and he has to preach the gospel to these Romans and he's a little bit shocked and he's kind of a bit reserved and while he's still speaking, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Why do you think the Holy Spirit came on them while he was still speaking? Because he certainly wasn't going to lay hands on them. You see, and, and, goodness me, oh, well, we'll have to baptize them. You know, and when he goes back and gives his report, he says, well, the Spirit came on them just as he did on us as at the beginning. So we had to baptize them. He's kind of making excuses for him, He's got a, for, for himself. God was doing something that was really uncomfortable. What we find today is that Gentiles, who've now been accustomed to being in the church and leadership and having all the blessings, find it more difficult to accommodate the place of the Jews. Can Jews become Christians? Or can they come, become believers in Jesus without calling themselves Christians? Hmm. How far do we want to go back to New Testament experience? You see, Ephesians 2 says this, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once off, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? It means Gentiles. You were beyond the pale. You were excluded. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. What does that mean? It means that we belong together. It means that Jews and Gentiles have a relationship that they must find together in the body of Christ. We must work that out. So this is one of the reasons why six years ago, there's not many Jews in Thornton Heath. I haven't found very many anyway. Over the 31 years, there have been a few coming in and out of our church So it was easier for me to go to Israel and make friends with people there than it was to go to North London. Anyway, it was more fun. So we went to Gatwick and flew and simply contacted people out there and said, we'd like to come and see what's happening. Could we come and see you? We remembered someone we'd known 30 years before. He didn't really remember me very well. But we turned up and we visited the congregation. And they said, well, what are you doing here? I said, well, we... We are one new man, and we have to work together because this is in the Scriptures, that we belong together. He's created of the two one. So we may not know each other, we may not even like each other, but we have something that we have to work together in order to discover. I need to turn to the book of Romans. I didn't bring a Bible with me, so I'm working just off the PowerPoint and memory, which is probably just as well because we could go into a lot of depths, because in the book of Romans, here's the setting. The church in Rome was planted. We don't know who planted it. It was probably people who were there on the day of Pentecost, because there were people from Rome, who went back and shared, the Messiah's come. He's died for our sins. He's been raised. We've experienced the Holy Spirit, a new and living way that we can enter into. And congregations of believers began to be formed amongst the Jewish community in Rome. And then the Gentiles began to come in. And they experienced something of a one-new-man kind of relationship. Jews and Gentiles together in one body. Same in Ephesus. They coexisted in one community. In AD 55, Emperor Claudius threw all the Jews out of Rome Now you could not at that time say, hey, but I'm a Christian as well as a Jew, and therefore I'll stay. You were thrown out. And so the church in Rome had, as it were, kind of an evacuation of the Jews. Now like all edicts, after a while they're kind of relaxed, and the Jews began to come back. And the Jews who believed in Jesus also came back. And they arrived in the church in Rome... And, of course, the positions of leadership and responsibility had now been assumed by Gentiles. And here were these Jews coming back. And it was, I think, somewhat uncomfortable. Because Paul is writing to try and reconcile this attitude of Gentile superiority. In Romans 9 to 11, which I think by anybody's book has to be one of the most difficult passages in the whole of the New Testament, Paul deals with this issue. And I'm going to just... I do have a Bible on here somewhere. Um, There it is. I just want to read from the end of Romans 8. We know Romans 8 very well, don't we? Okay, we were kind of celebrating earlier the love of God in Christ Jesus towards us. It's wonderful to be a Christian. How many of you know this? In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Hey, hold on a minute. What happened? Did you take a coffee break between that paragraph and the next one? The love of God. Whoa. Nothing can separate us. The next minute you want to be cut off. You've got great sorrow and great pain. What's going on? Football's coming home. That felt good. (laughs) I've got four children. One of them is not walking with God. I want him desperately to come home. I love the fact that I'm a Christian, that I enjoy the love of God, but I have anguish in my heart about a prodigal in my own family. It bugs me. It disturbs me. It won't go away. Okay, I'm really like the Apostle Paul in this. Okay, We have a desire for our nation. What's gone wrong with our nation? It's turned away from God. The judgment is on this nation. And the church has become a minority. We've anguish over it. We cry out to God for revival. Paul is both exultant in the love of God and in anguish because he wants to see the prodigals coming home. Jesus came to his own and his own rejected him. Break that in family, those that you want to really come in to see the king in all his glory. Going elsewhere for the trivia and the trash of this world, rather than heaven's precious jewel, the Lord Jesus. Paul is stirred about this. This isn't just a kind of, let's have a prophetic discussion, or this would be a kind of nice provocative thing to talk about in the home group this week. This is a passion for Paul. He's not just thinking with all his might, he's feeling with all his heart. And he's saying, this is something that we've got to think about. This is something we've got to pray about. This is something we've got to do something about. But it's complicated. He says, theirs. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants. He didn't say it was theirs. He says it is theirs. The tense is present. And he's got so many things to resolve that in the next ten minutes it's impossible for me to resolve. Sorry Colin if you wanted me to find all the answers I just raise questions and leave you to sort all the all the problems out. So what about the Jews what's happened to them? Is it did God intend this all along that he would just cut them off and leave them out and that's the end of it? Well Paul doesn't seem very happy with that in in chapter 10 he says brothers my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And he's been preaching in synagogue after synagogue, wherever he's gone. He's gone first to the Jews, even in Rome. He goes to the Jews first, the whole of his ministry. When we get to Romans 11, he's asking questions like this. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Good question, Paul. What's the answer? By no means, he says. The Greek is very, very, very strong. Mega nighty! My, my theology tutor at uh, Spurgeons used to say, this is the nearest the Apostle Paul comes to swear in. It's absolutely anathema, the idea that God could forsake his people. He's got this covenant of unbreakable love. If he, could sh- if he can sever his love from the Jewish people and leave them, how can we say... Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We're in the same covenant with the the same God. If God's not faithful to his covenant with the Jews, where's the confidence that we can have? We can't. But God is faithful. And he not only can, but will fulfill his purposes. Paul begins to paint a picture of a remnant. He says, I myself am an Israelite. Don't you know how in the time of Elijah, Lord, he says, they've killed your prophets, demolished your altars, I alone am left. No, he wasn't. But he felt like that. The remnant seems pretty small. Say, ten to 15,000 in Israel? That's not very many, John, is it? It's a down payment. It's a deposit. It's the beginning. It's a pointer. It's a sign. It's an indication there is more to come. In verse 11 of Romans 11, he says, Did they stumble in order that they might fall? Meganite. There he is again, very adamant. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. So it's not that you got it and they don't. It's that you have to provoke the Jews. In order to provoke them, you have to know them, you have to pray for them, you have to be interested if their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be? He said, it would be to your advantage to welcome the Jews. Rome, get them back in. Seek to have a relationship with them. How much more will their full inclusion be? Well, just how much more will it be? In verse uh, 15 Romans 11. If their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Don't we need life from the dead in the church? Don't we need power? How can we get it? We can pray. Yeah, sure. But here is a promise that God has given us in his word that the inclusion of the Jews will lead to life from the dead. What does that mean, life from the dead? Is it the precursor of the general resurrection? Is it revival? Is it spiritual awakening in the church? I think it's at least all those things in different ways at different times. But whatever it is, life from the dead sounds like a good thing to me. It seems like a necessary thing. And so we have tried to put some practical application to this. I would like to try and be practical I'm not always the most practical of people. But first of all, and I've kind of already said some of these things, make friends with Jewish people. If you know them, talk to them. Hey, I went to church on Sunday and we had this strange guy from London talking about the Jews. God's got a plan for the Jews. He didn't seem to understand it all. In fact, The Bible doesn't seem to make it all entirely clear. It's complicated. But God loves the Jews. And he's got a plan and a purpose for them. Full inclusion. It's going to happen. It's already begun. Did you know there were 15,000 Jews who believe in Jesus and they still identify as Jews in Israel? It's a strange thing, isn't it? You could tell anybody that. Because we do want to share the gospel with people. Okay, what, what did we do? Well, we, we decided we would do some things together. So I took Steve Oliver to Israel and we went to the congregation in Carmiel. And we were going to plant a church that year, two years ago, in Bloemfontein, okay, in South Africa. And Colin from Worthing moved down to Bloemfontein and started a church. And so we thought, wouldn't it be good if we took a team? of Jews and Gentiles, to lay a foundation, one new man foundation in that church. So we invited the church in Carmiel to send a delegation. They sent three guys, Israel, Gilad, and Shmuel, also known as Samuel. And we worked with a group from Holland, from Thornton Heath, from Lesotho, from South Africa, in order to have a truly international, one new man. But not just a mix from the nations, Jews and Gentiles in the mix together to lay a foundation for that congregation. Next week, Liz and I will be going with a team into Ghana. And uh, we are. Uh, Liz works a lot with Kids Club. We have a, a desire to reach every child in Thornton Heath. It started um, through doing Kids Clubs in schools and uh, reaching the unreached generation, reaching the next generation who don't know anything about Jesus. Most people who are coming up through the education system are never going to hear the gospel. Age 7 to 11, we're going into now seven schools in Croydon, reaching 1,200 children every term, 220 every week with the gospel. And we've taken it to India, we've taken it to different parts of the UK. Our aim is to see every child, every school reached. You could do this in Swindon. Because how are we going to change the next generation if we don't have access to them? A door is open at the moment. And we're going into Ghana to launch Kids Club in Ghana. There's a similar project started in Kenya a few years ago. They now reach 95,000 every week. That'd be nice, wouldn't it, if we could do the same in Ghana. Hey, Liz. And so we're taking a team from Beulah, black and white. But we want to get the one new man again. So we've invited Israel to come. And so we've got Jews and Gentiles, black and white, multicultural, working together in one body because that's what it tells us to do in the Bible. And so we're being intentional, to use a kind of Steve Oliver in word, intentional about involving Jews. We can create relationships, we can get to know one another, but we are looking for something more than that. It's not just the rosy, cozy, nice working together. We're looking for life from the dead. We're praying for this full inclusion that leads to something by way of spiritual breakthrough for the nations. So I would leave you with these bullet points. Seek to express one new man in genuine relationships. Expect God to bless us as a result. Accept, pray for and befriend Jewish believers. Be prepared to support Jewish ministries materially. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, the Gentiles ought to be of service to them in their material blessings. What about the state of Israel? Well, God is sovereign. I think there's only one nation in the whole of history that ceased to exist and then was rebirthed after a, a period of 1,800 years. You say, well, what about Egypt? Well, that's not, they're, they're different people. They're Arabs now. They're not the old... Egyptians that used to be there they've all gone but the Jews are still there and God still has a mystery they're the natural olive branches Paul says we're wild and God has grafted us in don't you think it's a lot easier for him doesn't look that way sometimes don't you think it's a lot easier for him to graft the natural olive branches in so don't be proud but be humble Because God is able to have mercy on them. You say, but Israel, they cause so much trouble. I mean, every time we see it in the news, which is very biased, by the way. Every time we watch the BBC, which is very biased, by the way. There's no such thing as neutral news. The gospel's not neutral, is it? You say, I don't know whether I like it. But God is sovereign. He's the one who establishes people in a nation establishes where people should live. Acts 17:26. He puts us where we are. He establishes kings. He destroys nations. It's there. You may not like it, you may not love it, but it's a fact. There's only one capital city that is named in the Bible for which you are called to pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem well, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The rabbis have a saying that when God created the world, he sent 10 bundles of trouble on the world. Nine of them landed on Jerusalem. <laughs> I believe that God has got some great things in store. I can't see it all clearly, but Paul says in Romans 11:25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of the mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come on Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel shall be saved. How is it going to work? When is it going to work? I'm not really sure. But God's got his way of working these things out at the right time, in the right way. Our call in is to pray and to be ready to do all that God will call us to. Father, we just thank you for the gospel that accepted us when we were rotten sinners addicted to sin and allergic to God far from you and made us born again and brought us alive to the promises that you gave to Israel that they've missed out on lord thank you for your amazing grace toward us we pray lord that you will bring peace to Israel that you will bring the gospel to Israel that you'll bring Jesus to Israel That will help us, Lord, if there's any anti-Semitism in us. If there's any, oh, I can't be bothered in something that you're passionate about. Oh, Lord, we pray that by giving ourselves to full inclusion, we may experience life from the dead in our own churches, in our own nation, around the world. Oh, God, that you will be glorified in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah.